So Perseus flitted onward to the northeast over many a league of sea, until he came to the rolling sand hills and the dreary Libyan shore, and he flitted across that desert, over rock ledges and banks of shingle, over level wastes of sand and shell drifts bleaching in the sunshine, over the skeletons of great sea monsters and dead bones of ancient giants strewn up and down upon the old sea floor. And as he went, the blood drops fell to the earth from the gorgon's head and became poisonous asps and adders, which breed in the desert to this day. Over the sands he went, he never knew how far or for how long, feeding on the fruit which the nymphs had given him, till he saw the hills of the Selly and the dwarves who fought with cranes. Their spears were of reeds and rushes, and their houses of the eggshells of the cranes. And Perseus laughed and went on his way to the northeast, hoping all day long to see the blue Mediterranean sparkling, that he might fly across it to his home. But now came down a mighty wind and swept him back southward toward the desert. All day long he strove against it, but even the winged sandals could not prevail. So he was forced to float down the wind all night, and when the morning dawned, there was nothing to be seen save the same old hateful waste of sand. And out of the north the sandstorms rushed upon him, blood-red pillars and wreaths, blotting out the noonsday sun, and Perseus fled before them, lest he should be choked to death by the burning dust. At last the gale fell calm, and he tried to go northward yet again, but again came down the sandstorms and swept him back into the waste, and then all was calm and cloudless as before. For seven days he strove against the storms, and for seven days he was driven back, until he was spent with thirst and hunger, and his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth. Here and there he fancied that he saw a fair lake, and the sunbeam shining on the water, but when he came to it it vanished at his feet, and there was naught but burning sand. And if he had not been of the race of the immortals, he would have perished in the waste, but his life was strong within him, because it was more than a man's. Then he cried to Athena and said, O oh, fair and pure, if thou hearest me, wilt thou leave me here to die of drought? I have brought thee the gorgon's head at thy bidding, and hitherto thou hast prospered my journey. Dost thou desert me now at the last? Why else will these immortal sandals not prevail against these desert storms? Shall I never see my mother again, and the blue ripple round Seraphis, and the sunny hills of Hellas? So he prayed. And after he had prayed, there was a great silence. The heaven was still above his head, and the sand was still beneath his feet. And Perseus looked up, but there was nothing but the blinding sun in the blinding blue. And around him there was nothing but the blinding sand. And so Perseus stood a while and waited, and finally said, Surely I am not here without the will of the immortals, for Athena would not lie. Were not these sandals to lead me along the right road? Then the road which I now try must be the wrong road. And as he said this, his ears were suddenly opened, and he heard the sound of running water. And at this his heart was lifted up, though he scarcely dared believe his ears. And weary as he was, he hurried forward, though he could scarcely stand upright. And within a bowshot of him was a glen in the sand, and marble rocks and date trees, and a lawn of gay green grass, and through the lawn a streamlet sparkled 
and wandered out beyond the trees and vanished into the sand. The water trickled down among the rocks and a pleasant breeze rustled in the dry date branches and Perseus laughed for joy and leapt down off the cliff and drank of the cold, cool water and ate of the dates and slept upon the turf and leapt up again and went forward, but not toward the north this time, for he said to himself, Surely Athena has sent me hither and will not have me go homeward just yet. Perhaps there is another noble deed to be done before I am able to see the sunny hills of Hellas once more. And so Perseus went east and east forever by fresh oases and fountains, date palms and lawns of grass, till he saw before him a mighty mountain wall, all rose red in the setting sun. Then he towered in the air like an eagle, for his limbs were strong yet again, and he flew all night across that mountain till the day began to dawn, and rosy-fingered Eos came blushing up in the sky. And then, behold, beneath him was the long green garden of Egypt and the shining stream of the Nile. And he saw cities walled up to heaven, and temples and obelisks and pyramids and giant gods of stone. And he came down amid the fields of barley and flax and millet and clambering gourds, and saw the people coming out of the gates of the great city and setting to work, each in his place among the watercourses parting the streams among the plants cunningly with their feet, according to the wisdom of the Egyptians. But when they saw him, they all stopped their work and gathered round him and cried, Who art thou, fair youth? And what bearest thou beneath thy goatskin there? Surely thou art one of the immortals, for thy skin is white like ivory, and ours is red like clay. Thy hair is like threads of gold, and ours is black and curled. Surely thou art one of the immortals." and they would have worshipped him then and there, but Perseus responded, I am not one of the immortals, but I am a hero of the Hellens, and I have slain the Gorgon in the wilderness, and bear her head here with me now. Give me food, therefore, that I may go forward and finish my work. And so they gave him food, and fruit, and wine, but they could not let him go. And when the news came into the city that the Gorgon was slain, the priest came out to meet him, and the maidens with songs and dances and timbrels and harps. And they would have brought him to their temple to meet their king, but Perseus put on the hat of darkness and vanished out of their sight. The Egyptians looked long for his return but in vain and worshipped him as a hero and made a statue of him in Chemis. And they said that he appeared to them at times with sandals a cubit long and that whenever he appeared, the season was fruitful and the Nile rose high. Perseus then went to the eastward, along the Red Sea shore, and, because he was afraid to go into the Arabian deserts, he turned northward once more, and this time no storm hindered him. He went past the Isthmus and Mount Cassius, and the vast Serbonian bog, and up the shore of Palestine, where the dark-faced Athiops dwelt. He flew on past pleasant hills and valleys like Argos itself, but the lowlands in this area were all drowned by floods, and the highlands blasted by fires, and the hills heaved like a bubbling cauldron before the wrath of King Poseidon, the shaker of the earth. And Perseus feared to go inland, so instead flew along the shore above the sea. And he went on in this manner all day, and the sky was black with smoke. And he went on in this manner all night, and the sky was red with flame. And at the dawn of day he looked toward the cliffs, 
and at the water's edge, under a black rock, he saw a light image standing. This, thought he, must surely be the statue of some sea god. I will go near and see what kind of gods these barbarians worship. So he came near, but when he came, it was no statue, but a maiden of flesh and blood, for he could see her tresses streaming in the breeze. And as he came closer still, he could see how she shrank and shivered when the waves sprinkled her with cold salt spray. Her arms were spread above her head and fastened to the rock with chains of brass, and her head drooped on her bosom, either with sleep or weariness or grief. But now and then she looked up and wailed and called for her mother, yet she did not see Perseus, for the cap of darkness was still on his head. Full of pity and indignation, Perseus drew near and looked upon the maiden. Her cheeks were darker than his were, and her hair was blue-black like a hyacinth. But Perseus thought, I have never seen so beautiful a maiden, not in all our isles. Surely she is a king's daughter. Do barbarians treat their king's daughters in this way? She is too fair, at least, to have done anything wrong. I will speak to her. And, lifting the hat from his head, he flashed into her sight. She shrieked with terror, of course, and tried to hide her face with her hair, for she could not do so with her hands. But Perseus said to her, Do not fear me, fair one. I am a Helen and no barbarian. What cruel men have bound you in this way? Here, first I will set you free. And he tore at the fetters, but they were too strong for him. And as he struggled, the maiden cried, Touch me not, I am accursed devoted as a victim to the sea gods. They will slay you if you dare to set me free. <laughs> Let them try, said Perseus, and drawing Harpy from his thigh, he cut through the brass as if it had been flax. Now, he said, you belong to me and not these sea gods, whosoever they may be. But she only called more on her mother. Why call to your mother? She can be no decent mother to have left you here like this. If a bird is dropped out of the nest, it belongs to the man who picks it up. If a jewel is cast by the wayside, it is his who dare win it and wear it, as I will win and wear you. I know now why Athena sent me hither. She sent me to gain a prize worth all my toil and more. And so he clasped her in his arms and cried, Where are these sea gods, cruel and unjust, who doom fair maidens to death? I carry the weapons of immortals. Let them measure their strength against mine. But tell me, maiden, who are you, and what dark fate has brought you here? And she answered, weeping, I am the daughter of Cepheus, king of Iopa, and my mother is Cassiopeia of the beautiful tresses, and they called me Andromeda as long as life was mine. And I stand, bound here, hapless that I am, for the sea monster's food, to atone for my mother's sin. For she boasted of me once that I was fairer than a Targetus, queen of the fishes. So she, in her wrath, sent the sea floods, and her brother sent the earthquakes, and together they wasted all the land. And after this, they sent a monster bred of the slime, who devours all living things. And now he must devour me, guiltless though I am, me who never harmed a living thing, nor saw a fish upon the shore without returning it to the sea. For in our land, we eat no fish, for fear of a Targetus, their queen. Yet the priests say that nothing but my blood can atone for a sin which I never committed. 
But Perseus laughed and said, A sea monster? I have fought with worse than him. I would have faced immortals for your sake. Tell me, how hard can it be to slay a beast of the sea? Then Andromeda looked up at him, and a new hope was kindled in her breast. So proud and fair did he stand with one hand round her, and in the other the glittering sword. But she only sighed and wept the more, and cried, Why will you die, young as you are? Is there not death and sorrow enough in this world already? It is noble for me to die, that I may save the lives of a whole people. But you, better than them all, why should I slay you too? Go you your way, I must go mine. But Perseus responded, Not so, for the lords of Olympus whom I serve are the friends of the heroes, and help them on to noble deeds. Led by them I slew the Gorgon, the beautiful horror, and not without them do I come hither to slay this monster with that same Gorgon's head. Be sure to hide your eyes when I leave you, lest the sight of it freeze you too to stone. But the maiden answered nothing, for she could not believe his words. And then, suddenly looking up, she pointed to the sea and shrieked, Here he comes with the sunrise as they promised. I must die now, and how shall I endure it? Oh, please go. Is it not dreadful enough to be torn piecemeal without having you here to look on upon it? And she tried to thrust him away. But he said to her, I go, yet promise me one thing before I do, that if I slay this beast that you will become my wife and come back with me to my kingdom in fruitful Argos, for I am a king's heir. Promise me and seal it with a kiss. Andromeda then lifted up her face and kissed him, and Perseus laughed for joy and flew upward, while Andromeda crouched trembling on the rock, waiting for what might befall her. On came the great sea monster, coasting along like a huge black galley, lazily breasting the ripple, and stopping at times by creek or headland to watch for the laughter of girls at their bleaching, or cattle pawning on the sand hills, or boys bathing on the beach. His great sides were fringed with clustering shells and seaweeds, and the water gurgled in and out of his wide jaws as he rolled along, dripping and glistening in the beams of the morning sun. At last he saw Andromeda and shot forward to take his prey, while the waves foamed white behind him, and before him the fish fled leaping in fear. Then down from on high did Perseus fall like a shooting star, down to the crests of the waves, while Andromeda hid her face as he shouted, and then there was silence for a while. At last she looked up trembling and saw Perseus springing towards her, and instead of the monster, a long black rock with the sea rippling quietly around it. Who then so proud as Perseus as he leapt back to the rock and lifted his fair Andromeda into his arms and flew with her to the cliff top? as a falcon carries a dove. Who so proud as Perseus, and who so joyful as all the Athiop people? For they had stood watching the monster from the cliffs, wailing for the maiden's fate. And already a messenger had gone to Cepheus and Cassiopeia, where they sat in sackcloth and ashes on the ground, in the innermost palace chambers, awaiting their daughter's end. And they came, and all the city with them, to see the wonder of her survival with songs and with dances, with cymbals and harps, and receive their daughter back again, as one alive from the dead. 
Cepheus said to Perseus, Hero of the Hellens, stay here with me and be my son-in-law, and I will give you half of my kingdom. I will be your son-in-law, responded Perseus, but of your kingdom I will have none, for I long after the pleasant land of Greece and my mother who waits for me at home. Cepheus objected, You must not take my daughter away so soon, for she is to us like one alive from the dead. Stay with us here a year, and after that you shall return with honor. And so Perseus consented, but before he went to the palace, he bade the people bring stones and wood and build three altars, one to Athena, one to Hermes, and one to Father Zeus, and instructed them to make burnt offerings. Many of the Athiops said things like, This is a pious man, and Perseus is a great hero. Yet the priests of the Athiops said, The sea queen will be yet more fierce against us because her monster is now slain. But these priests were afraid to speak aloud, for they feared the gorgon's head. So together they went up to the palace, and when they came in, there stood in the hall Phineas, the brother of Cepheus, chafing like a bear robbed of her whelps, and with him his sons and his servants, and many an armed man. And he cried to Cepheus, You shall not marry your daughter to this stranger, of whom no one knows even the name. Was not Andromeda betrothed to my son? And now that she is safe again, has he not the right to claim her? But Perseus laughed and answered, If your son is in want of a bride, let him save a maiden for himself. As yet he seems but a helpless bridegroom. He left this one to die, and dead she is to him. I saved her, and alive she is to me, but to no one else. Ungrateful man, have I not saved your land and the lives of your sons and daughters? And will you requite me thus? Go, or it will be worse for you. But all the men-at-arms drew their swords and rushed upon him like wild beasts. Perseus quickly unveiled the gorgon's head and said, This has delivered my bride from one wild beast, and now it shall deliver her from many. And as he spoke, Phineas and all his men-at-arms stopped short and stiffened each man as he stood. And before Perseus had drawn the goatskin over the face again, they were all turned to stone. Perseus then bade servants to bring levers and roll them out, and what was done with them after that, I cannot tell. So they made a great wedding feast, which lasted seven whole days, and who were so happy as Perseus and Andromeda? But on the eighth night Perseus dreamed a dream, and he saw standing beside him Athena, as he had saw her in Seraphis seven long years before. And she stood and called him by name, and said, Perseus, you have played the man, and see, you have your reward. Know now that the gods are just, and help him who helps himself. Now give me here Harpy, the sword, and the sandals, and the hat of darkness, that I may give them back to their proper owners. But the gorgon's head you shall keep a while, for you will need it in your land of Greece. Eventually you shall lay it up in my temple at Seraphis, that I may wear it on my shield forever, a terror to the titans and the monsters, and the foes of gods and men. And as for this land, I have appeased the sea and the fire, and there shall be no more floods nor earthquakes. But let the people build more altars to Father Zeus and to me, and worship the immortals, the lords of heaven and earth. 
And Perseus rose to give her the sword and the cap and the sandals. But as he did, he woke, and his dream vanished away. And yet it was not altogether a dream, for the goatskin with the head was in its place, but the sword and the cap and the sandals were all gone, and Perseus never saw them again. In the morning a great awe fell over Perseus, and he told the people of his dream, and bade them to build altars to Zeus, the father of gods and men, and to Athena, who gives wisdom to heroes, and for them to fear no more the earthquakes and the floods, but to instead sow and build in peace. And they did so for a while and prospered, but after Perseus was gone, they forgot Zeus and Athena, and returned to worshiping again Atargetus, the queen, and the undying fish of the sacred lake. And they burnt their children before the fire king, till Zeus was angry with these foolish people, and brought a strange nation against them out of Egypt, who fought against them, and wasted them utterly, and dwelt in their cities for many a hundred years.